not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today we're talking about Dewey's Opera, which originally aired February 20th, 2005, was directed by Linwood Boomer and written by Eric Kaplan. Hi, I'm Jake, and I hope David doesn't embarrass himself. And I'm David, and you think you can beat this glorious alpha podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I love that line so much. (laughs) It's a a great Stevie episode. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) But before we get into this week's episode, we have our community segment where we've got some poll results. Looking back on Malcolm's car. Uh, which, for that episode, uh, for the shittiest kid, uh, we both chose Malcolm for uh, his mistreatment of uh, Reese and uh, much more so his mistreatment of Stevie as his obsession with his uh, new shitty car like took over his life. Yeah, that sounds right. And the internet agreed with us with uh, Malcolm winning with 71% of the vote. Uh, but Francis and Reese both got 14% of the vote. What? Francis? Yeah, Francis. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but, uh, for least shitty kid for that episode, uh, we were, uh, staying with our, uh, you know, staying in agreement thing that we've been doing this season that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, it is kind of uh, weird, isn't it? It, it is. And we both chose Dewey for helping Hal out with his uh, little in-house hair salon. And the internet also agreed with us on that one, as he got 77% of the vote, uh, with a lone vote going to Reese and a lone vote going to Malcolm. And Luke wrote in on that one, as he is apparently our one dissenting vote for Malcolm. Okay. Because he says, Malcolm was a victim, Dewey was helping just because he was bored. Wow. Sometimes boredom leads you to do a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It doesn't really matter what his motives were, he was still being helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, as for Malcolm being a victim, he he wasn't a, you know, he, he wasn't a victim when he was throwing Stevie out into the street. He just saw a car he wanted. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, the stuff he does later in the episode, maybe, sure, the car almost murdered him. Okay, but, uh, it's pretty shitty before all that. Yeah. But getting into the episode, we, of course, have a cold open to start. And, uh, it starts with Hal sitting outside reading the newspaper. And Lois walks out, uh, looking like she's on her way to work. And she asks Hal if he will, uh, if he started baby-proofing the kitchen yet. And Hal says he's doing it right now. (laughs) And Lois walks away looking confused, and then it cuts to the kitchen, which uh, Jamie is, like, walking into, and he walks over to the cupboard under the sink, and he opens it up, and Reese is waiting inside and just screams at him as soon as the door opens. (laughs) (laughs) And Jamie runs away. (laughs) I don't know why, but I feel like that's something my parents would have done to me if they'd have thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
and uh, we we have uh, three plot lines to get through. We have like two big ones and then one very minor Jamie plot line. And I think we will start with the Malcolm, Reese, and Stevie centered plot line. Because that is the most disconnected from the rest of the episode. That's fair. And... Huh. I think you named this the X-plot for Extreme. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good guess. That's a good one. That would have been would have been very fitting, but no. You see, Jake, I went with a much more current pop culture reference with this. Yeah? Yes. I went with the need. The need for speed. It's the NS plotline, clearly. Okay, okay, fair (laughs) enough. But uh, it starts with Malcolm and Reese playing a game where they are shooting thumbtacks across their bedroom at ping pong paddles that the other one holds up. Which is impressive. Yeah. That they're getting them to stick. (laughs) Fair. And Malcolm complains, saying, you know, this is so boring. And Reese says uh, it's Malcolm's fault. They can't do anything because Stevie is here and Stevie can't do anything. And uh, Malcolm says he's not deaf. (laughs) And then uh, Reese, like, lowers his ping pong paddle and reveals Stevie uh, in there in the room with them, having been, like, covered by the ping pong paddle from the camera. (laughs) And uh, Stevie says he has his fun. And he is reading a magazine called Extreme Sports. And uh, Reese walks over and says, See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. If I was reading that magazine, it would be fun. But you reading is just sad. God, Reese is such a dick. He is. (laughs) And Reese, like, takes the magazine from Stevie. uh, And is talking about how, uh, you know, now he's bored and sad. And it's all Stevie's fault. And, like, as he's explaining this, he... Holds the magazine, and uh, from the camera's perspective, it like lines up so it looks like the like muscular legs that are all are that are like the entire cover of this magazine are Stevie's legs. Reese says that you know it's uh, not fair to Stevie that people are always rubbing it in his face that he can't do anything. Yeah, who would do that? <laughs> yes, <laughs> he says that maybe Stevie would be better off to kept him in some kind of special tank. <laughs> God, oh Reese. And uh, before Stevie can, like, you know, respond to that, uh, Reese and Malcolm, like, cut him off as they get distracted, having opened the magazine and found an article about street lugine, uh, which the article says is the most dangerous new uh, trend for teenagers. Uh, it's making uh, police look back fondly on the crack epidemic. Which is just... <laughs> wow. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they they both are, like, you know, getting super excited about it, like, looking at this article. And then uh, remembering that Stevie is there, they start to, you know, plight it off, saying uh, it seems lame and way too dangerous, and they would never do anything like that, so there's no need to talk to any parents about it. (laughs) (laughs) They're uh, very clearly, you know, worried that Stevie is going to rat them out to Lois. (laughs) Then uh, Malcolm and Reese go to uh, a location where a extreme sports chat room told them, uh, you know, local teenagers were uh, doing this street lugeon at, like, the top of a hill. 
in there looking around as there's no one there uh, trying to figure out, you know, if they have the right spot. Then a cop car, like, pulls up and turns, and when it does, a bunch of street losers, like, jump out of some bushes and uh, start going down this hill, like, grabbing onto the cop car. And, uh, like, deciding if they want to follow suit, uh, Reese looks down at the, the hill that they're going down and immediately chickens out. <laughs> uh, the... Voice that we heard about uh, previously for Reese is uh, apparently one out as he <laughs> declares, nope, too dangerous. Call me a girl if you want. I'm out. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, that small little voice of reason and hope. I mean, understandable after uh, <laughs> how their uh, uh, diving board uh, plan worked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but Malcolm, who hasn't had his spirit crushed yet, uh, decides <laughs> he's going to do it. And he, like, gets down uh, onto their, like, homemade luge that they've made. And uh, he's, like, laying there, and Reese uh, tells him, I, I-, I don't think you should do this. It's dangerous. You could get brain damaged or killed, and you're my brother. And then, like, mid-sentence, he uh, pushes him with his foot, like, sending him down the hill. Yeah, I mean, that that tracks. That's, that's like, the most brotherly thing in the world to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we get a shot that's just, like, looking down at Malcolm as he's rolling down the cell, like, initially just screaming, uh, and, and then, like, once his screaming stops, he uh, says, you know what, actually, I'm kind of having fun. And then he starts going on, like, a little fantasy about how he's going to be a great street loser. He's found his calling. (laughs) And that whole unpopular phase is just going to be a footnote once he's a famous loser. (laughs) 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 With with his own uh, brand of clothes, and he's going to have a girlfriend. Maybe two girlfriends. And they'll fight over me, but I'll make them work it out. God, what a D-bag. (laughs) uh, his fantasy is cut short as he is run off the road by a mystery street loser who like flies past him and sends him off to the side into a storm drain and uh, Malcolm says that he's uh, someone owes me an extreme apology (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I can't decide if that's the coolest thing or the lamest thing he says this episode (laughs) Fair. (laughs) (laughs) And he walks out to the bottom of the hill and he tells this uh, mystery street loser that he's a jerk and that he thinks just because he can afford to buy a fancy street luge, that gives him the right to make Malcolm crash. And he tells him, it doesn't. Uh, It doesn't stop you from being a jerk. It just makes you a rich jerk. You a jerk? And then he like stomps (laughs) away. And as he does, the uh, mystery loser, like, raises the uh, visor on his helmet, and it's revealed to us, but not Malcolm, that the mystery loser is Stevie. That's right. Then we get a montage uh, that's, like, cutting back and forth between Malcolm working on uh, improving his luge and getting run off the uh, road by this uh, mystery loser, as he, like, he's... Like, initially, like, uh, sanding down, like, part of their, uh, wooden luge. Uh, then when it, like, uh, 
cuts over, he, he gets run off, and then when it comes back, he has, like, a giant skid mark on one arm as they've upgraded to a metal luge that he's, like, uh, tightening some bolts on. Uh, then he once again gets gets run off, and then it comes back, and he's welding their luge. And, like, both of his arms are completely covered uh, in, like, road rash. Then uh, the final time he gets run off the road, he, like, hits a guy who is, like, gardening. And they, like, get stuck in, like, a 69-ing pose. <laughs> as they just like slowly roll down the sidewalk <laughs> yep then we see Malcolm and Reese like working together on the luge and Reese is you know uh, asking Malcolm if he you know, wants to keep doing this uh, how much skin do you have left on your chest at this point <laughs> enough <laughs> and uh, Stevie arrives ha having been uh, called over and Malcolm reveals to Stevie that they have a real street luge, like he was reading about in his magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real condescending about it. And they make him promise not to tell. They know uh, that every bone in his body is going to want to, but he can't. And Malcolm explains to Stevie uh, about this rivalry that he has going uh, which is where your opening line comes from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Malcolm, like, explains that he wants Stevie to, like, help him perfect this luge because they have a plan. And that's that they're going to uh, make a bet with this uh, rich mystery luger. And then during the race, Reese is going to jump out of some bushes and make him crash. In between that and this, you know, perfect luge they're making, Malcolm should be able to win. And Stevie just says, I'd hate to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stevie. Stevie, <laughs> Stevie, Stevie. You love to see it. Then we go to the race where Malcolm is, uh, like, establishing the terms of the bet. Saying, yeah, it's $80, street rules, which means no rules. <laughs> oh, Malcolm. <laughs> he, like, starts uh, saying, you know, uh, th that he shouldn't think about the fact that there's no rules because that could psych him out. And he shouldn't think about the fact that he could get psyched out because that could psych him out. And psyched out people make mistakes. And right as the race is about to begin, Stevie just says, good advice. <laughs> Which immediately psychs Malcolm out as he realizes that this is Stevie, allowing Stevie a head start. <laughs> then uh, as he's getting to the uh, point where Reese is going to jump out of the bushes, uh, Stevie raises the visor on his helmet so that Reese sees who it is, like, right at the last second when he jumps out. And realizing it's Stevie, he jumps out of the way into Malcolm's path. And that, like, sends Malcolm off the road uh, through some bushes. <laughs> as uh, he, like, plows through the bushes uh, into a nudist barbecue. <laughs> like, past a bunch of nudists. <laughs> Such a weird inclusion. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Then uh, he, like, goes through some more bushes and comes out the other side, ending up uh, in the street uh, ahead of Stevie. 
And Stevie catches up, and they are, like, neck and neck. And it uh, looks like they're, you know, going to the same speed until Stevie pulls out his inhaler and starts puffing it behind him for a speed boost. That's right. <laughs> it's like nitrous, man. <laughs> Which allows him to beat Malcolm. Uh, but as he's, like, looking back at Malcolm with, like, a big smile on his face, he fails to notice that he's headed straight for a pair of boards, like, sitting, like, propped up against a truck making a perfect ramp. <laughs> Which he hits and goes flying, and it cuts to a shot of, like, a pile of leaves, uh, like, a tree in the background with, like, yeah, the, the, the implication being that they're going to do the, like, standard, like, he lands in a pile of leaves and is fine, bit. But instead, he just slams into the tree in the background. <laughs> Full force. Just, yes. You can see the dummy, like, flop against the tree. It's so good. It is. It's great. <laughs> then, uh, be like, uh, last, like, little sting for this plot line is uh at an event stevie is sitting next to malcolm with both of his arms in casts like one going up one going down like a cactar from final fantasy <laughs> <laughs> that would be what you'd think of oh you're right but wow uh that's funny and he tells malcolm you still owe me 80 bucks and Malcolm tells him, then take it out of my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these boys. <laughs> then from there, we will go to the other big plot line. The uh, opera-centered plot line, which I think you have named the ALW plot for Andrew <laughs> Lloyd Webber. <laughs> but yes, I, I hate that you got that, but yes. I almost didn't, uh, but I thought it was too cheeky because I thought of Andrew Lloyd Webber, but then immediately because of my wife and my mother-in-law, anytime I think of Andrew Lloyd Webber, I think of Maxwell Sheffield from The Nanny, and so I almost named it that just to be a dick, <laughs> but I was like, no, nah, that's that's a little too cheeky. I won't do that. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I, I feel like I had an advantage in uh, that because uh, after the episode had ended, you were humming Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> kind of gave away what you were thinking. <laughs> it is why I almost switched it, but I was like, nah. Besides, Jake never, you know, gets it. He needs an easy one every once in a while. Wow. Am I wrong? But uh, this plot line starts. In Hal and Lois's bedroom, as Lois has bought them a new bed, and she's talking about how, you know, ratty and old the, the previous bed was, and how much better this one is. And she says that it's uh, even bigger. It's a king-size bed, which Hal is very insulted by. <laughs> as uh, he says, uh, so it's a, a bigger bed so that you can be further away from me? That's right. Gotta make that space. <laughs> Which uh, Hal then, like, of course, starts spiraling out about it, saying that, you know, it's uh, good to know that this is how it starts. It starts with uh, you wanting a little more distance between us. 
uh, in this giant bed, and then the next thing you know, you're sleeping in another room, and then we're barely trading pleasantries. And then the final step is uh, their, their divorce, where uh, Hal is sitting at a table alone under a swinging light bulb, while Lois is in uh, Ibiza with her new lover. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> Who she can't get too close to. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lois, you know, says that he's being ridiculous, that uh, she didn't even think about it being a bigger size. It was just on sale. And uh, she, like, tells Hal, you, you know, I'll have to find something that we can do in this bed that'll make you happy. And Hal just, like, looks away and says, Good luck! <laughs> I love Hal so much. Then, uh, the next day, uh, Hal is sitting at the, uh, kitchen table, and Dewey comes in and tells him, I'm here to snitch. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells Hal that, uh, Reese and Malcolm are in the garage working on something, and they won't let him in. <laughs> He doesn't know what they're building, uh, but if you need any help in the punishment stage, I'm here. But Hal tells him that, you know, he's just doing this because he's bored, and they have a rule in this house for what you do when you're bored, and he hands him the TV remote. <sighs> Such a Wilkerson rule. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we saw what happened when they told them not to watch TV when they're bored. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Dewey goes over to the couch and sits down and starts, like, flipping through the channels uh, until he comes across an opera. Then uh, we see Malcolm and Reese coming in, like, having, uh, you know, made their luge, and they see Dewey sitting on the couch crying uh, because of this opera, and when they uh, ask him, you know, what's wrong... He tells them, you know, how beautiful this opera was. It was all hate and screaming. It was just like our family, but with music. <laughs> and when he, like, starts going into the, uh, like, more technical side of, like, breaking down why this opera was, you know, so touching to him, Reese just stares at him and says, All I heard was Reese, start hitting me and never stop hitting me. <laughs> And uh, Malcolm, like, nods and says, yeah, that was the gist of it. Then we see Dewey in class as his teacher is reading to the class a list of animals found on a farm. I don't know if you can call that person a teacher, but yeah. And uh, Dewey is, like, ignoring him, writing some sheet music as he has decided he wants to write his own opera. And uh, Hanson, like, leans over and asks Dewey if they're supposed to show their work in the algebra homework he gave all of them. I do like that Dewey has taken his role as their instructor seriously. Yes, up until this point, because he uh, is, like, too distracted by his opera to give Hanson an answer. And he, like, tells them that, you know, he's very distracted by this, uh, and that he has the music, he can hear it in his head, but he doesn't have a story for his opera. And uh, he, like, you know, says that uh, he, he can't pull from his own life because he's a kid. You know, he's a kid, he wants a dog, he doesn't have one. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Dewey. I care if you have a dog or not, Dewey. Then uh, we go back to the house, 
where uh, Hal and Lois are both in bed, and Hal is like a big spoon to Lois, and he is like completely wrapped around her. Yeah, I was gonna say big spoon. I don't, I don't think it qual. That that's like burritoed. Like <laughs> it, I don't, even, I don't even know what you call that, but it's way past big spoon. Fair. <laughs> and Lois like scoots away from him as you know she has this extra room now that they have this bigger bed and she like looks very comfortable and like smiles and closes her eyes to go to sleep but Hal like sits straight up and points at her and says aha <laughs> clearly, I knew it this was a trap <laughs> and Hal says you know this proves that she wanted a bigger bed to get away from him and Lois says that, uh, you know, he's right, that she wanted more room uh, because he, you know, generates so much heat when he's asleep. And she can't stand it. She needs room to stretch out and be cool. And then they, like, start, uh, you know, blowing up into, like, a full-on argument uh, with, with, like, Lois telling Hal that if he wakes Jamie up, he, uh, Jamie's his baby for the rest of the night. <laughs> And it cuts over to the boys' room where Dewey is, like, laying in bed listening to all of this. And he gets a flash of inspiration. And he starts working on his opera based on this argument. It's very dramatic, Jake. Clearly. And uh, it starts, like, cutting back and forth between uh, Hal and Lois having this argument and Dewey, like, writing his uh, opera. And when it uh, first cuts back to Hal and Lois, they start scening, which uh, both uh, Brian Cranston and Jane Kaczmarek do their own scening for this. Which is awesome. As they have, like, these full-on op- operatic scenes, uh, which, like, escalate every time they cut back to it. Like, initially, it's, you know, just their argument, but they're scening it. Then it, like, cuts away and cuts back, and they're both wearing, like, traditional, like, Italian opera wardrobe. Then uh, it cuts away and cuts back again, and their bedroom has been replaced by like a full opera set. As one does, Jake. <laughs> and they like even uh, bring in uh, like separate uh, choruses to support both of their sides. <laughs> As uh, Hal says that he's having a stroke, which Lois tells him it's not a stroke, it's just a panic attack. <laughs> then it's like, uh, Blows up further as uh, Hal is, like, telling her to, you know, call an ambulance. And she's telling him that uh, he knows it's not a stroke. Uh, He's just doing this as emotional blackmail. With, with, like, that opera scene, like, like, uh, coming to a head with uh, both Lois and Hal in their respective choruses. Just, like, seeing back and forth blackmail and stroke. (laughs) (laughs) But it, like, concludes the first opera sequence. And the next time we come back to this plot, uh, Lois and Hal, like, a few days later, are still having the same argument. And Hal is now telling Lois that, you know, he's going to uh, go off and sleep on the couch because he doesn't want to sleep somewhere he's not wanted. (laughs) And Lois, like, follows him out to the couch and they're, like, having their argument, like, in the living room. And it cuts from their argument to the recreation of their argument uh, being performed by the Buseys. As Dewey has now uh, moved on from writing his opera, he is now producing it. And uh, Dewey tells uh, Hanson and Zoe 
that uh, they're both holding back too much, and he, like, explains their motivations to them, uh, telling the, like, stand-in for Lois that, you know, she's filled with anger because she works all the time for a family that doesn't appreciate her. And <laughs> <laughs> the uh, stand-in uh, for Hal, he, he tells, uh, you know, and, and you, uh, the only thing that you have in your life is your wife. That's right. You have no friends. You hate your job. <laughs> and Chad asks Dewey if he should actually wet himself when it says in the script that Jamie wets his pants. And Dewey says no. And then he says, okay, but what about on show night? And Dewey thinks about it for a second and says, only if the second half drags. <laughs> <laughs> Hanson tells Dewey that uh, the problem isn't their performance, it's the characters, that they're just treading water. It's been four days, and they've done four scenes about sleeping on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> and Dewey realizes the problem with his opera is that it doesn't have an ending yet. Chad suggests that the uh, Hal stand-in uh, solve his romantic problems with a machete. <laughs> Uh, and a bloody gruesome surprise <laughs> a bloody comedic surprise that's right that's yes. what it is yeah yeah God. see oh. chad gets storytelling <laughs> well he just wants to make this machete the musical and i support that <laughs> get danny trejo in here you know what now that you phrase it like that i'm kind of on board with this <laughs> if we get Danny Trejo, then you can make Machete the musical. <laughs> then uh, Dewey arrives home, and Lois is on the phone uh, talking to the Mattress King. Uh, yeah, about returning this mattress, and she says she'll hold for the king, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> that is pretty funny. And uh, Dewey, you know, upon seeing this, says that that's not a very satisfying uh, resolution. And Lois says that, you know, in a marriage, it's not always about having a satisfying ending. Uh, that, you know, sometimes you just have to do what you have to do to get by. And right. Dewey, disappointed by this uh, conclusion, decides to stir things up. Yeah. <laughs> As he tells Lois, oh, I guess Dad was right. Uh, he said if he made a big enough stink that eventually you'd give in and he would get what he wanted. You know, this is a great lesson for me, Mom. <laughs> and he walks away. <laughs> oh, Dewey, you manipulative little bastard. <laughs> and it works as Lois hangs up. <laughs> then the... Argument between Hal and Lois uh, comes to a head as they're once again talking about the bed situation uh, out in the living room as, uh, you know, Hal is preparing to sleep on the couch again. And she tells Hal that the real reason she wanted a bigger bed and she was too embarrassed to say is that, you know, she uh, has to uh, fart when she gets home from work at night. Or, or she gets stomach cramps. And Hal, like, laughs this off, saying, you know, she shouldn't be embarrassed about that. They're married. 
And he tells her it's uh, also not a secret. As soon as you fall asleep, you let loose every night. (laughs) (laughs) Then they once again break into song. Uh, This time they're they're like dressed in like uh, traditional like Greek clothes. uh, And it's just like a pure black background. As Hal sings a song about how, you know, they know all of their most embarrassing secrets and it's okay because only they know them. And uh, in doing so, he, like, reveals uh, some more of their embarrassing secrets, like that anytime Lois is alone, she has to measure her ears to see if they're growing. And how... Well, that's just rational. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta know, Jake. Hal uh, is uh, scared of monkeys, and uh, he has seen Lois eat pizza out of the garbage, and uh, the camera, like, pans over as they're, like, having this big moment, and Dewey is, like, hiding uh, (laughs) behind a shelf, writing all of this down for his opera. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, good old Dewey. (laughs) Then, <laughs> uh, as their, uh, like, song concludes, Lois tells Hal, I'll return the bed, and Hal says, Honey, you've been sleeping on it for a week. They're not taking that back. <laughs> <laughs> Rough. <laughs> then, uh, we go to the opera, the, like, uh, school musical that, uh, Dewey has composed, which he is, like, introducing... Uh, saying that it's a show about humiliation <laughs> and regret uh, in uh, this, the marital bed. <laughs> and, I think he just says marriage bed. And it, like, uh, cuts over to uh, Hal and Lois, and Hal, like, looks around and says, uh, Wow, everyone we know is here. <laughs> That's where my opening line comes from, as <laughs> Lois says, Yeah. I hope Dewey doesn't embarrass himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, himself. That's the that's the concern there, Lois. <laughs> and that just leaves the uh, shortest plot line, as Jamie has his own little plot line going in this episode. He sure does. And I think you have named this... <sighs> What would you name this one? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you're going to guess it, but man, I'm excited to see if you do. I think you've named this the Look Who's Talking Now plot. Because while (laughs) they don't talk, these are babies having weirdly adult, like, implied relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would have been... Such a good plotline title for this. I didn't even think about that. Man, I haven't thought of Look Who's Talking Now in ages. Uh, I didn't think about it until you said I would never guess it. <laughs> I started <laughs> trying to rack my brain <laughs> for, like, baby-related pop culture references. <laughs> and that's what <laughs> I came up with. <laughs> well, you'll be disappointed to know this time I didn't go with a pop culture reference. Ah. This is the I-plot for the intermizio. You know, that part in the opera when they're changing scenes and they draw the curtain and they put on a tiny little show so that you don't get restless. Okay. 
It's the show within I, the show. I, I, I never would have guessed that because I didn't <laughs> know that's what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's where it's like one of the original like things for intermission. Yeah, that that that, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, not like yeah. I I knew intermesia was like an intermission. I didn't realize it was like a show that you did. It's it, it isn't like a full like show, but they would have like some form of entertainment. Like nowadays, the like sad excuse for it is like music playing or right. something. But yeah, they would try to keep something going so that you didn't like fall out of the tone or the theme of the opera. They didn't want the the mood to change until they were ready to reveal the curtain and move on to the next scene. They wanted to keep the audience engaged. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. But this plot line starts uh, in the scene where uh, Dewey is, like, first discovering the opera uh, as Jamie, like, looks out of the window, which, like, just, like, his nose up is, like, peeking out over the window. And he looks across to uh, another house where another, like, baby is doing the same thing. And they, like... Lock eyes as this opera music is played in the background. And it's the, the start of their toddler romance. <laughs> as we then see uh, Jamie, like, get up out of bed before everyone else and, like, climb out of his crib to, like, go back to this window. And then there's, like, a time lapse as he's, like, waiting for, you know, all of this time, just staring out the window until the other toddler, like, shows up and looks back at him. And then Jamie, like, holds up a little stuffed monkey. And then this other toddler, like, holds up a little toy dog. Then, like, the the next time we see Jamie, like, going back over to the window, uh, once again, this other toddler, like, shows up and looks out. But then they're joined by a third toddler who's, like, in the house uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Jamie's uh, romantic interest. And they, like, look at Jamie for a while and, and then, like, leave the window. And Jamie looks very sad as he, like, starts to cry as Lois comes over saying, you know, there you are, and, like, picks him up and says, I wish I was you. And the uh, worst thing I, uh, I had to worry about was nap time. As little baby Jamie, still crying, like, holds his hand out longingly towards the window. Poor Jamie. <laughs> and... Uh, this plot line ends with uh, Jamie, like, at Dewey's opera as it's starting. Like, as the music starts up again, he's, like, being held by Lois, and he looks over her shoulder and once again, like, sees another toddler his age, and they make eye contact as the music starts. And that wraps this episode up, so let's go to our awards. And as usual, we will start with the Roller Skating King Award, the award for the best visual moment. What did you choose for this one, David? I mean, it had to be the Inhaler Nos, right? Like, I mean, that's it, it's a good one, but there's a lot of options this time. There really are. But God, that just, I don't know, hands down to me, especially the look on Stevie's face when he looks over at Malcolm just kind of like, hey, gotcha. And then just like blasts himself forward with this little inhaler. Like, come on. It's the most absurd thing. And it is so funny. It is very funny. It is definitely one of them that I had on my list. Uh, and I, I did struggle with this one a bit. But between two other options, 
because, like, the most impressive thing in this episode is the, like, first uh, opera sequence where they have, like, this full opera set, like, complete with, like, a swan boat, like, going by, uh, and, and, like, this giant fountain, and, like, all of the, like, uh, wardrobe, and, and, like, all of that is very impressive. Agreed. But it's not what I chose to give my award. I gave my award to Stevie hitting the tree. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> all right, all right, you got me there. You got me there. That's pretty. That yes. was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, while it's not nearly as impressive, it's very clearly just a dummy on a luge being launched into a tree. <laughs> it is the moment of the episode that made me laugh the hardest by far. <laughs> uh, that's fair. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, it is it is remarkably hilarious. So that's that's fair. That's fair. I can give you that one. And uh, moving on to our next award, what did you choose for your hot dog with mustard award? Your award for the best line. There were people screaming and hating. It was our family, but with music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dewey's line's so funny, and it's so real. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, my uh, initial award was going to go to your intro line. Uh, but since you uh, use that for your intro, I will go with my backup, which is another Stevie line from that same conversation. <laughs> and it's just his reaction to Malcolm showing him the real street luge, like from his magazine. And Stevie just says, Heaven forbid. <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i love stevie yeah yeah and uh his uh his last seasons are really uh peak stevie in my opinion <laughs> like he he is a character that just gets better with every single season then <laughs> uh moving on to our next award uh which of these plot lines did you choose as the a plot of your heart uh, I went with the uh, opera plotline, the the main plot. It just, I love seeing Dewey as uh, a uh, musical genius. I also, uh, for all the reasons that you said earlier about why this plotline is so good, the background changing, Hal and Lois actually like singing opera, just every part of this is absolutely astounding. And I love it. And so between that and just uh, how funny I find Dewey in this, I, I had to give that my favorite. Uh, yeah, fair enough. And uh, yeah, I, I do think, again, well, like I said, with uh, like just the uh, visual stuff, like it is definitely the most impressive. But I like the luge plot a little bit more. I, I think it's a little bit funnier. I love Stevie in this episode. I love him like just... Like, w without Malcolm knowing, just, like, completely shitting on Malcolm the entire episode. It's, like, a, w one of my favorite Stevie episodes. And as I've said before, Stevie is my favorite character in the show. Which, uh, make, make, makes this just a, a, a better plotline to me, personally. That's fair. And, uh, who did you have as your favorite character? Uh, this one took some time, but, uh... I ended up settling on Dewey because while I love, I do, I love Stevie, and uh, he was, he was the one that I was battling with. It was either him or Dewey, but like Dewey's director moment 
uh, as I call it, <laughs> where he's like talking to the the other Buseys and just sort of his like I don't know willingness to to push and sow discord and stuff in order to get his opera material. Uh, it it I don't know. I I, I found it hilarious. Uh, I Dewey made me laugh a lot. But so did Stevie. So this this was a really hard one again. Like I'm, dude. These latest seasons have been so hard with the side characters lately. Like it's so hard to pick someone as my favorite anymore. Fair. Dewey was definitely like one of them that that like was a contender. I also really like Chad in this episode. Ah, uh, that's fair. Uh, but like I said, like this is a Stevie episode for me. Like he steals the show. For the end of this episode. He does do very, very well. <laughs> and who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award? Your award for the best acting. I gave it to Craig Lamar trailer. Okay, interesting. He did an excellent job in this. Yeah. I I like I also wish I'd have known before I picked my awards that uh Hal and, and Lois had done their own like actual singing there. I guess I didn't pay close enough attention to see that they were the ones singing. I just assumed that they weren't. Uh, yeah, fair, fair. I, I like looked it up as they do because I also assumed that they didn't. <laughs> right, because I I'm not gonna lie, that does kind of change my answer. But obviously, I didn't go back through and actually change it because you, you're gonna change your answer. Right? <sighs> I don't know. That just yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I feel like Craig Lamar trailer does so good in this though. Like I love the deadpan and the like. The interactions with Malcolm and stuff, they're so good, but the singing was so well done, and especially for people who I don't believe are classically trained, you know, singing that type of of performance is so impressive. Like, I kind of have to give it to, to Brian Cranston here. I think he does a little more of it than Jane Kaczmarek, but... She also deserves it because that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I also chose Brian Cranston for this, but yeah, they do both do a great job. Uh, like this is the only thing I could find of like Jane Kaczmarek doing like scening, but like in a show or anything. But Brian Cranston actually has like a hand like times he's done this kind of thing. Okay. So like I, I found while I was like looking trying to figure out if they did their own scening in this. But yeah, like, that's still that's crazy to me, man. Yeah, yeah. Brian Brian Cranston especially does just such a fantastic job, which is like so crucial to making this episode work. It's why musical episodes of like sitcoms tend to be like so hit or miss because right. generally it is the actors doing the scening, which isn't <laughs> always a good thing. <laughs> Uh, like uh, even in like instances where it is done well a lot of times there's like varying levels of like <laughs> how good the performance are like like obviously me being me i like immediately think of the, the like buffy musical episode which has some like wide range of, of cd talent <laughs> on display <laughs> i thought for a second you were gonna like praise it as like an amazing, and I was gonna start pulling out some references here, Jake. <laughs> I mean, listen, there's some good, good singers in that episode, and then there's the not good. Yeah, but there's and... a like, you get like the full gamut. 
and what's more with feeling from like ah oh, these are like do you have like a professional broadway actor and then like some like trained like have clearly like had professional training and then some like clearly have it but like do a pretty good job uh and then you have xander yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Xander, but yeah, it was not good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, bro, I can't say much. Like, I can't, I can't sing for shit. But like, damn. Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, to be fair, like, Allison Hannigan also can't sing, but, like, uh, she just, like, refused to do it. She she sings, like, three lines in the entire thing. You know what? Good for her. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> uh. But, uh, moving on uh, to our next award, uh, who did you choose to give your Mrs. Dabney Award? Your award for the worst parent... Which, your uh, wife was like looking as you were making your notes and uh, had some very strong feelings about your choice. So I'm curious. Uh, she sure did. She sure did. Listen, I chose Lois. Interesting. Is it? Yeah. Listen, Lois, she didn't, you know, trust Hal enough to be open with him and communicate openly. And that's that's clearly a problem. They need to communicate more. You have to have open communication. And especially with as long as they've been together. I mean, that's that type of communication is is a must. And to just go and do something like that, especially when she knows how Hal is, it's just very insensitive. And on top of that, she's somehow so wrapped up in this that she misses the boys using power tools. This is Lois. She smells them coming from miles away, and she missed the street luge somehow. Wow. <laughs> uh, on the subject of ignoring the street luge stuff, I, I chose Hal for ignoring Dewey snitching about <laughs> them being in the garage using power tools. That should have been a red flag. He should have investigated, and he was directly <laughs> told about it and didn't. And instead, all he did was send Dewey off with a remote control, you know, to telling him that if he gets bored, you, you know, he should just watch TV. You know what, Jake? You know what, Jake? Yeah? I'll give you that, because the award is the worst parent. It is Hal. Lois is the worst spouse. Okay. But, uh, but yep, you know what? Your argument has convinced me. I agree. Hal is the worst parent. Lois is just a worst spouse. Okay. Because you know what? I forgot about Dewey's snitching until we were going back through it. But you're 100% correct. It happens. Yeah. Rarely, but it happens. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, moving on to our next award. What did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Uh, The fact that Jay Leno was still on TV. Okay. <laughs> well, there's the line in the opera about uh, whether or not she's going to call the cops or or just sit there and watch him die while she watches Leno. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I had to pause because do, isn't Jay Leno on TV again, though? Wait, is he? 
Like, I, I, yeah, I think he has, like, a Netflix show. No, don't tell me that. Well, Netflix barely counts. But also, wow. really? Wow. I, yeah, I think so. Really? Yeah. How did I miss that? I mean, I I, I could be wrong. That That's why I, like, paused, because I was, like, trying to, like, figure out if, like, the information in my brain was right. Because I know David Letterman also has a Netflix show, but I think they both do. <laughs> Uh, when I Google Jay Leno Netflix show, the only thing that comes up is Jay Leno's Garage, which was his series in 2015. And okay, then the that, Jay that Leno is show. 100% what I was thinking, by the way, was his, uh, like, car show. Oh, okay. But I think it's still ongoing. But also, hang on, there's something else here. Oh, apparently he had a show called You Bet Your Life, and it's apparently been revived three different times since the original series ended. And he was the host, which launched uh, in September of 2021. Okay. Uh, also, it looks like uh, Jay Leno's Garage is on, like, regular TV and is still going. Is it? Yep. It had episodes come out earlier this year. I have not seen him in anything. Look, that's fair. <laughs> Neither have I. Let me change my answer. Jay Leno was relevant? <laughs> 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 I genuinely don't know why I know that he has a car show on TV. Right? Yeah, especially you. You know the least about cars of anyone I know. As, I, as someone who doesn't like Jay Leno or cars. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I legitimately thought he had just, like, faded into obscurity. I don't remember... Man, I haven't seen anything about Jay Leno in so long. I mean, he hasn't been, like, significant in, like, pop culture since he, like, stole Conan O'Brien's job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. It's like the last time I remember people talking about him, and it mostly wasn't in a positive light. <laughs> what? No way. But uh, for my OK Boomer Award, I chose the Street Luge Craze. <laughs> that's fair because it's something that i personally remember from around this time <laughs> mostly like the the like modified skateboard is also uh -huh. what i remember people even using like i don't think i've ever seen like a like metal like fancy street luge like we see in this episode i've just seen people laid on skateboards <laughs> well yeah we were poor jake like also, I remember we were so poor that we didn't even have skateboards that, uh, when this first, like, was a big thing. So I remember one of our neighbor kids, like, stole a shopping cart, and then we had affixed <laughs> wire to uh, a wooden handle, and, like, you'd sit underneath the cart part, and we would street luge with it almost like a go-kart. It was like street luge meets Mario Kart racing. And uh, I remember we used to ride that down that, that steep hill there on 18th uh -huh. until we realized that we didn't have brakes on it and my brother almost got hit by a car. Uh, see, <laughs> I, I never got to see that one. That's great. But I do oh, remember were... going to that exact hill and just doing the, like, <laughs> kids who had long boards, we would quote-unquote street luge by, like, laying on it and going down the hill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh... It was shortly after that because 
uh, Ryan and Cruz and I and who else was involved in that one? I think Marcus. You know, none of us had skateboards or could afford longboards. So right. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I I th- I couldn't remember if you were with us on that one or not. Yeah, that didn't last very long because like. Uh, when Ryan almost got hit, they got all mad and they started screaming and yelling at us and we had to go running home. And then, you know, it's like, what are you guys doing? Nothing. Yeah. I, I, I remember like the story of like Ryan almost died <laughs> doing this. I, I had not heard the element of the story of this like <laughs> fucked up shopping cart that you were using at the time that's great (laughs) oh i don't want anyone getting the wrong idea of it was like modified we took a shopping cart and some bailing wire attached it to a literal like small piece of like one by one Uh uh-huh and then tied the bailing wire to the wheels so that like if you like cranked it hard enough the wheels would move a little bit yeah that's what i'm envisioning (laughs) all right yeah perfect that counts as modified (laughs) oh it was so bad (laughs) okay well that just leaves shittiest and least shitty kid uh, which your uh, wife also expressed some dissent <laughs> on your choice for one of these. I think for least shitty kid, maybe. Uh, which uh, let's let's go ahead and start with least shitty kid. Who did you have for that, David? Okay, so hear me out, Reese. Okay, that right? Thank you. And yes, this is the one that my wife was like, "What?" But he pushed him. First of all, Malcolm was gonna do it anyways. Second of all. As far as Reese goes, pushing Malcolm on a thing that he was already going to do, not really all that horrible. And Reese was smart enough to not only not do it, but he also tried to caution Malcolm and included continued caution when he was like, how much skin do you even have left? You know what I mean? And uh, on top of that, he really doesn't do anything super evil he's very insensitive he's a dick admittedly but again on on the curve he's really just not super horrible there's that first scene but beyond that i mean it's just sort of par for the course reese uh yeah i I think he's a reasonable choice for this i i think at least for me this came down to between malcolm and reese yeah, see, it was Jamie or Reese for me, but I knew if I chose Jamie, you wouldn't allow me. Uh, I mean, I think, <laughs> you know what? I think we should make Jamie eligible. Yeah? Because, like, th- this is one of the rare instances where, like, Jamie is, like, an actual character. Oh, well, then, yeah, it's Jamie. Okay. You know what? I'm also switching mine to Jamie. <laughs> I did have Malcolm, because Reese was such a dick to Stevie at the start of the episode. And... Because he was making an argument for putting a no fat chicks uh, sticker on their street loot. Not gonna lie, forgot about that. Fair. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, if we're if we're including Jamie, because he'll uh, he'll take the Francis slot for this episode. Then uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's Jamie this time. Yeah, I would agree. Congratulations, <laughs> Jamie, on your first award. <laughs> That's right. Here's your cop-out award. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, who did you have as your shittiest kid for this episode? Well, Jake, it it pains me. Mm-hmm. But it's Dewey. All right. I'm glad you made the correct choice, David. As we established in... God, I can't remember the name of the episode now. But the one where Malcolm films Reese uh, at Herkaby's hey, insistence. It, yeah. The, the, the episode is Malcolm films Reese. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. God damn it. Anyway. I hate you. Hey, what was the name of that one uh Star Wars Shut movie? Up. You know, the the one with the Phantom Menace in it? What was that called? Why don't you go jump off a cliff, sir? God. I'll push you down a hill. Uh <laughs> No, but as established in that episode, watching people and recording their secrets and sharing it with other people without their consent or knowledge is creepy and wrong, and Dewey does that, and while I know it's for the sake of his art, and I'm sure his opera was beautiful and wonderful, I cannot condone those actions. Yeah, yeah, fair, that and his manipulation of Lois. Yeah, I mean, that's not great, but, you know... Watching a very intimate moment from behind a, a bookcase and then sharing it with other people, pretty shitty. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> Especially everyone they know. Yeah. <laughs> he invited all of their friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when our uh, agreeable streak continues, David. <laughs> Oh, my God. And that wraps up our awards. But we have a couple of segments left, beginning with WTFF. Where the fuck's <laughs> Francis? Uh, yes. How how has he been doing after his book tours? Well, I mean, David, that's exactly what he's doing. <laughs> ah. Because uh, as we've established, he was just in that uh, high-profile court case with uh, some guy in Illinois who's uh, not named. But uh, after that high-profile court case, obviously, when you're in a court case like that, you write your memoir. And that's what Francis is doing this week is he's, uh, you know, finishing up his manuscript for his memoir. Ah. Uh, and the title of that memoir is The F-Plot. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome i love it and when, in which he describes how everything in his life prepared him to deal with the the trauma and slander that was thrown his way by some man from the desert of illinois right yeah <laughs> some real sicko <laughs> <laughs> That uh, we, we also have the Cranston Connection, uh, which is where we draw connections between various characters played by Brian Cranston, as we have determined that in some form or fashion, they are all one character. Uh, what's this week's Cranston Connection, David? The Cranston Connection here, we see the fragile nature of Hal's relationships, and more importantly, uh, his own inability to embrace his inadequacies and his own self-esteem uh this is why he always wants to be both deeply in love with his partner but also doesn't have that sort of self-esteem to trust that the connection goes both ways and this is where we see that he is doomed to constantly repeat the same mistake that he has made 
in not only his previous relation prior to getting with Lois, but now also uh, in the future with his uh, wife as both Hammond Druthers and as Walter White. And we see now why he's so afraid of any form of pushback or appearances that his partner is pulling away from him and not blindly supporting him no matter what he does. Okay. I appreciate your, like, psychological profile, Cranston connections that you get into sometimes. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. <laughs> and that just leaves one last segment, and that is David's Guessing Game. Uh, which you did uh, pretty well this time. Uh, as you uh, correctly surmise that uh, Dewey would, like, watch an opera and, like, get super into them, and that he would write his own or rewrite someone else's opera as, like, a school project, uh, which obviously is exactly what happened. Uh, and you were also correct that his opera would, like, center around things about his family and, like, his experience. Uh, the, the only thing that I, like, marked a couple of points off for is you thought that, like, the, the issue would be that, like, uh, this would make his opera, like, unrelatable and people wouldn't like it because of that. Uh, as opposed to the issue being that he was uh, revealing his parents' <laughs> deepest, darkest secrets to everyone they know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie, dude. I am remarkably close on my guess for something turning out a million times different than how I envisioned it. Fair. <laughs> this was not how I figured it was going to go <laughs> at all. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, nonetheless, basically everything you uh, said kind of panned out. So uh, I gave you a 98% on this one. Yeah. And what do you think happens next week in Living Will? Living Will? Yeah, which uh, coincidentally, some guy from Illinois will be joining us for. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that bastard. <laughs> Of course it's living will. Of course it's living will that he'd be joining us for. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, I know what a living will is, but how is that yeah, going to It's a guy play... named Will who's alive. Uh, shut up. <laughs> cuz there's no way they're getting rid of Cloris Leachman cuz I I mean, obviously there's going to be a decision about a living will. Like somebody's going to be like in a coma or potentially you know, in the position of we have to do this dangerous procedure or they might never wake up or whatever, but who the hell are they going to do that to? I don't know. <sighs> you tell me. I don't know. I don't I don't think they're going to, because this is what, episode 12? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, episode 12. Yeah, I don't think they're going to kill off like a major character. I don't think it's Craig. I mean, obviously it's going to center around... Like, making choices and difficult choices. That's going to be, like, a theme of the episode, obviously, because it's about a living will. It's an incredibly difficult thing to have to do, but it's also something that, you know, people put into place. And, and so they're going to be forced into some sort of, like, scenario with that. Um, I'm going to wager that it's probably Hal, because, okay. I mean, least decisive of the adults... And I don't think we're doing a Living Will episode where Malcolm has to make the decisions. That's insane. Yeah, obviously it would be Reese. <laughs> yeah, he'd just pull the plug. Uh, <laughs> quite literally. Um, yeah, I don't... Man, I don't have a good guess at all for this. I mean, maybe it's going to be like some like 
long lost cousin or uncle. Because again, like I said, I don't think they're gonna do like a main character that we've come to know. You know, gets like put on life support or something like that, and they have to, you know, Hal has to address this sort of idea of okay, well, do we, you know, follow through with this and and remove them or not? And yeah, I think it's gonna be Hal. And honestly, Jay, I have no fucking clue other than that. Okay. Yeah, th- I think that'll work. It's a hard one to think of uh, more questions to ask without giving things away. <laughs> right? Well, and that's like, if this were like a serious drama or we were like closer to, I think, a point in time where we'd have like a, a big cliffhanger or something, I think I'd have more to go on. But like, with it being episode 12 like there's only what like 22 episodes yep and i'm like i said i'm pretty sure they're not getting rid of chloris leachman in fact i know there's not because it's been hinted at that there are other chloris leachman uh episodes to look forward to in the future so yeah i can't really yeah that's the best i can do fuck this really feels like i missed a class or something and now i'm taking a pop quiz (laughs) 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 but that wraps this episode up thank you for listening Uh, as always thanks and credit to jacob newfeld who does our intro and outro music if you would like to find links to more of his music you can find those in the episode descriptions and if you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com or on Twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast. And if you enjoy the banter back and forth and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray where we play video games, interact with the chat, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember that life is unfair. Mm-hmm.